Well, good morning to everybody here, and good morning to everybody at home or wherever you're tuning in and watching. Um, it's been really good for me to be here so far this morning, and one of the things that I'm amazed at is how the theme of share time and the theme of the last two songs uh, go with what God has been speaking to me about. And it may not be clear to you in the first 10 minutes, uh, but in the end, I trust that, some of the, that you'll see how the themes all come together. Um, the song that, that Daryl just led, um, Burdens Are Lifted at Calvary, is actually based out of the text that I want to look at. And the text was quoted in the song that we just sang. So, um, I, yeah, anyway, I just find those kinds of things encouraging um, as you feel God speaking to your heart and hope that you're discerning correctly. So, uh, a little while ago, I read, I was reading in uh, the New Testament, and I read a one of the promises or statements of Jesus that is just, it is so well-loved and so often quoted that it's easy just to, just to run through it because you, you feel like you know what he's saying. And I, I just stopped. I was like, wait a minute, what did you just say? God, like, what? And, and you know that you've heard it all of your life, but it was kind of like, wow, I need to look at that. And out of that, um, looked at an Old Testament story where the same theme is there. And I don't really want to tell you what the theme is yet, but we'll, we'll get there. And, and so the question, you know, well, I guess one thing I'll just say, when we talk about the Christian life and walking with God, you know, often we talk about it being a battle, which it is. We talk about it being a race, which it is. We, we talk about the, the strenuousness or the hardship of, you know, that what it means to lay our life down and follow Christ. And all of those things are completely true. But it rests on a basis that is filled with so much hope and power and joy um, that that's, I want to focus on kind of a different aspect of walking with, with God today. One question, and this is, again, this is a broad question. There's not one, not one right answer here. But if I was to ask you, God's presence brings what in your life? And just leave that blank. What does God's presence bring? And again, I mean, God's presence brings probably literally hundreds of things. Um, but I'm curious what comes to your mind when you think about God's presence and what it brings. And today I want to just focus in on one thing that God promises us and what his presence brings us. So you can think about that um, and uh, be curious what, what you filled that blank in with. Actually, it's a small group. Just uh, would anybody be willing just to say what you think of when you think of what does God's presence bring? When you when you feel God's presence, what does it bring with it? Hope, hope, peace, purpose. Yes. Any other words that came? Comfort, joy, good. Yeah, goodness. Yeah, amen. Yeah, these are all excellent things um, and very true of what God's presence brings. I'll, I'll walk us through a story, and then I'll tell you what element of, of what God's presence brings that we're going to focus on today. So the story is in Exodus um, 32, 33, 34, and um, we're going to go through that pretty quickly, and then we're going to go to Matthew 11. Um, and I love these chapters in Exodus. They, it is, they're fascinating stories. I feel like Theologically, we could talk all day about these chapters and what happens in them and try to understand them. 
But in a nutshell, we're going to look at Exodus 33. So Moses has just been up on the mountain. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And he comes down, and we know the story. The children of Israel have turned away. They've built a golden calf, and he breaks the Ten Commandments. And God says, I'm not going to go with you. And he wants to actually destroy the children of Israel and raise up a people out of Moses. Moses prays. We have the thing of it seems like God changes his mind. We get into Exodus 33, and I'm not going to read all of this, but again, God comes to Moses and says, look, go. You and the people that you brought out of Egypt. And isn't this interesting? God is, is saying, it's not even the people I brought out of Egypt. It's you and the people you brought, go. I'm not going with you. Um, but I'm going to send an angel along uh, to go with you to, to defeat the enemies. Because I'm going to... God says, I'm going to consume you if I come with you, because you are a stiff-necked or a stubborn people. The people heard this. They said it was a disaster, and they, re they repented. They took off their ornaments, and uh, they are, they're repenting uh, before the Lord. And then in verse 7, I think I'm going to read these verses um, just for the context of it. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his, at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So just fascinating. Moses would go out to the tent of meeting, and if people would want to, they would come out and, and meet with God there. And when he would go, they would stand at their tent door and worship. But God's heart all along, what he said he wanted to do, was to have a tabernacle and dwell right in the middle of the people, both in the middle of their camp and then just to be with his people. And now they've sinned, and God said, I'm not going to go with you, and I'm not going to dwell right in the middle of, of you anymore. And so it explains what happens. Now here's the crux of what I'd like us to see. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And here's what God says. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses is, he's pleading with God, God, please, who are you going to send with me? I want you to go. And God does come in verse 14 and say, yes, I am going to go with you, and my presence will bring you rest. And for some reason, the word or the idea that God's presence brings rest is what grabs me and what I want to focus on today, that God's presence brings rest to our hearts, regardless of what we're going through. 
God's presence brings rest. And the word for rest here, it, it just has the idea, it's not so much that you're not doing anything as that you're settled down. Like if you, if you get the picture of, of just putting some roots down, that you're, you're secure. Um, God says that he is going to bring rest through his presence. And he goes on, in the end of this chapter, Moses uh, wants to see God. And God does say that, yes, um, I'm going to come pass before you. His goodness is going to pass before him. He's going to hide him in the, in the cleft of a rock to protect him. Um, and he's going to say his name. Um, but he's, not going, he's only going to show him his back, his face he wouldn't see because Moses couldn't handle it. So, so God comes along and, and assures Moses that I'm going to go with you and I'm actually going to let you even see my presence. And then the rest of the book of Exodus is outlining how the tabernacle will work. And then if you remember, God's presence comes and fills the tabernacle. And the book ends with whenever God's presence would move, the people would follow. So at the core of what the children of Israel needed to know, they needed to know, is God with me? And God said, yes, I am, and my presence will bring you rest. In Exodus 34, I find this interesting. If you, if you keep reading, Moses is asking God to, to have his presence go with them, not because they deserved it, but because, in fact, they didn't deserve it. In verses 8 and 9, um, he says, If now I've found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. So uh, Moses is asking for mercy, and God does send his presence. And then just, just a reminder that God does keep his promises is, you know, what does he tell Joshua? When Joshua takes over from Moses, God says, I'm going to be with you in the same way I was with Moses. And you can be strong and courageous because I am with you wherever you go. So here's the Old Testament story with the idea that God's presence brings us rest. And I'd like to go to the New Testament and look at Matthew 11, uh, the end of the chapter, 25 through 30. And again, it's a promise of Jesus, and I just want us to consider what he says and to focus on and find joy and hope in the fact that God's presence brings us rest. At that time, so in Matthew 11, um, Jesus is talking about how that the generation that he had come to, they rejected John the Baptist, they had rejected him, he did all of these miracles in the cities, and they didn't come to him. They didn't turn to him. And so this is how the chapter ends with the verses that we all know. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he goes into the promises that we all know, come unto me. But I want to just stop and focus on this, because this is actually all one paragraph. Actually, it's an introduction to the paragraph of the promises at the end. So Jesus is saying that he's praying to the Father. So he's saying, Father, and he's revealing that he is God's Son. And he's recognizing God as Lord of heaven and earth. Isn't this incredible? God is Lord of, of the universe, everything we can see. And he's saying that who he is has been hidden from the wise, the people that thought they had it together, the people that were trusting in themselves, couldn't see who Jesus actually was. But God, the Father's good and gracious will, 
was to reveal who he was to little children, people who knew they had a need. So this is God's plan. And then verse 27 is amazing, that all things have been handed over to Jesus by the Father. And catch this, no one, no one can know the Father except, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So God the Father gives Christ all things. This makes me think of Colossians, that everything was made by and for Jesus. Everything is given to Jesus. And nobody actually can even know the Father unless the Son reveals him. So who is the Son going to choose to reveal the Father to? And it's in that context that he comes along with an amazing invitation and promise. And he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it's the exact same thing that he promises in Exodus. My presence will bring rest. So he's saying, only the people that I choose to reveal the Father to can see him. But Jesus says, do you know what? I'm going to reveal him to anyone, who, to all who, um, that are laboring or heavy laden, and I will give rest. So let's just let's focus on this a little bit. The first is just simply an invitation from Jesus. Come to me. He's offering himself as the solution. Come to me. And he defines it by saying all those that labor, and it, it has the idea of just, you know what, you're working, and you are, you're, you're burdened down. And you, you, know, you all know how it feels to be carrying something that you aren't sure how long you can, can hold on. It's kind of like, I hate to make more trips uh, from the car to the house after grocery shopping than I have to. So you head for the house with as many bags as you can carry, and it's like, please get the front door because I cannot hold these glass jars any longer. And you rush in and make it to the counter, but you, don't, you aren't sure if you're going to make it there. That's a little teeny bit uh, what we're talking about here, where you're burdened down beyond what you can carry. Um, you're weary and you're heavy laden. And Jesus says that if we come to him, he will give rest. And when we hear the word rest, um, I think and hope it becomes clear that it's not just that we do nothing. The word rest actually has the idea of it's a pause and you're refreshed to go on. It's not, it's not that we don't ever go on, but it's a pause and a refreshment. So Jesus says, come to me. He invites all of us that labor and are heavy laden. And I think if we would have grown up in that culture, you would have had to think of what he says about the Pharisees who had laid all of these rules and expectations of legalism, of what does it take to be right with God. And he describes that. They put heavy burdens on them, but the Pharisees don't lift a finger to try to help them out. And now compare that to what Jesus will go on to say. So the invitation is to come, and then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the invitation is here. He says, I'm going to give you rest. And the very next phrase says, take my yoke upon you. What is that about? Does that not sound almost opposite of rest? Um, I think we all know, all will know what a yoke is. Here's a picture of, of one version of a yoke. So it's it's simply the, you know, the wooden beam and the way that you hook cattle or animals together to accomplish a task. A yoke is very definitely designed so that we can accomplish work, so that work can be accomplished. So typically, you would yoke two animals together. 
uh, to keep them pointed the same direction to allow them to accomplish more than what one animal would on its own. So Jesus says, he says he's going to give us rest, and then he says, take my yoke upon you. And then the next thing he says is to learn from me. And the word learn is, it has the idea of an ongoing learning process, and it's actually the same kind of root word that we get uh, the word disciple from. And so the invitation from, or the, the promise from Jesus is, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. And the way I'll do that is if you take my yoke upon you and learn from me and become my disciple. And then he goes on to describe himself, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is that not amazing coming from, from Jesus who is king of kings, who has just said in verse 27, the father just put everything into my, into my hands. He's given everything over to me. And yet how he describes himself is being gentle or meek and lowly in heart. And if you think about it, how we talk about ourselves or introduce ourselves says a lot about who we are. And here's Jesus that at his core says, look, I am meek and gentle and lowly in heart. One of the things I was curious about, can, can people think of other places in Scripture where Jesus this clearly describes him, himself and who he is? He often uses word pictures. You know, I am, I'm the light of the world. I'm you know, all of these things. But can anybody think of, of adjectives that Jesus uses to describe himself other than this? And there probably are, but I was having a hard time thinking of them. Are there any that come to mind for people as you're listening? That's fine. If there are, mention them later. But I think it's just, I'm amazed by this partly because of who Christ is and how opposite this is of my human nature to be meek. At our core, apart from Christ, we are all selfish. And we can paint it any which direction that we want to, but we are selfish at our core. And, and it takes Christ to work in us and change that. And Jesus is saying at his core... He is gentle and lowly. And I think about in Mark 10, that he says he came actually to serve, not to be served. And this just describes who he is. And that's why when we take his yoke, we actually are finding rest for our souls because he is gentle and lowly in heart. So he goes on to say that the rest we're going to find is for our souls. So it is an internal rest. And this is something that Jesus... Um, if you notice the rest in verse 28, Jesus says he's going to give it to us. And in verse 29, we'll find it from him. This is not something that we can create on our own. We can't. Um, people can look for external things to create this rest, and it won't happen. And, and we can even look for our own internal things to create this rest, and it won't happen. Only Christ can create rest uh, in the middle of and in our souls. And I want to just think a bit about, again, the, the concept that God wants to give us rest. And what all does that mean? And this, the concept of rest is actually is woven throughout the Old Testament. If you look for it, um, I'm going to read just a couple of, of passages that point to it. But in Isaiah 28, um, verses 11 and 12, he says, For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue the Lord will speak to this people, to whom he has said, This is rest. 
Give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they will not hear. And this is God's people who have fallen into idolatry and are not accepting what Jesus offers. And he's saying, this is rest. I want to give you rest. And they won't accept it. Jeremiah 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. So God is saying the ancient paths, if we walk in his ways, he promises rest for our souls. And it, it comes here by, uh, by walking. So our, again, the resting is actually action as well. That God brings, God brings rest. We rest in him, which results in the action of walking with him. And he brings rest for our souls. And even consider Psalm 23 in light of all of this. And look at the progression that God promises. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Very first statement of what God does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then he goes on to restore our souls, paths of righteousness, and into the valley of the shadow of death. But the very first thing he starts with is having us lie down. And it sounds a lot like bringing rest to our souls and restoration to our souls um, as it progresses from there. And then he ends this, the promise for say, by saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the invitation to Jesus is to come to him, to take his yoke, to learn of him. He promises rest for our souls. And he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And one thing I think we need to understand is where he talks about that his yoke is easy. It doesn't mean that it's not not difficult at times. The word easy actually just, it, it literally means that it is a good fit, it is well-suited, and that it brings about a goodness. So it's saying that his yoke that he has is actually, it's exactly what I need. It's not that it's never difficult, but it brings benefit, it brings goodness. His yoke is easy in the sense of it's designed right for each of us. And then he says his burden is light. And it literally just means his burden is light. And how does that correspond with what we read in Romans, where there's a long list of, quote, things to do? And God says his burden is light. It doesn't mean that, that God doesn't have high standards or want to change us. But it literally means that his burden is light because he fulfilled the law, and he actually helps us to do those things. One of the pictures I had, again, of carrying things, um, all of us with little children know that if you walk by carrying a big box or something, little children will love the, love the chance to come help you carry it, right? You know, Annika will want to, let me help you, Dad. And I'm carrying, you, know, you name it, and she will grab a hold of the one end. And I may or may not find out when she starts helping me, and I probably don't find out when she stops helping me. She's there, and she's doing her part, but she's really not actually holding anything. And in some ways, I think that is a bit of a picture of why Jesus can say his burden is light, is because he's fulfilled the whole burden of the law, and he's actually carrying it. And as we are in his yoke and living out the law, it's actually God and his righteousness flowing out of us. I think about in Philippians where he says that we are simply to work out what he is working in. And so all of this is what Jesus is working in us 
And then we're just living it out. And that's why he can say his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So God promises rest. I want to just highlight in the in this promise, what are the actions or what are the commands or what, I guess, what are the directives that we are to do? So I, there are three verbs that I see highlighted in blue that Jesus says. We are to come. So we are to come to Jesus. We are to take my yoke upon you. And we are to learn from me. So that is the list of, as it were, the list of things that we are to do. Simply to come to be willing to take his yoke, to yoke to Jesus, and to learn from him. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, of, you know, what does it mean to be yoked to Jesus? And if you think about you know, the picture of the, the oxen yoked together, um, if I'm yoked to Jesus, one, he's with me, and I'm always with him. And if we're yoked to Jesus, we're not going to go anywhere that he doesn't go. And so we are saying that we are staying with him. He's taking the lead, and we're going wherever he goes. And if he has a yoke for me that I'm yoked to him, then there's obviously work that he wants to do through me and through each of us. And he actually tells us that he has good works that he prepared before the foundation of the world that he wants us to walk in. So that's when I think about being yoked to Jesus. Those are some of the things that come to mind. So we are to come to take his yoke, and we're to learn, uh, learn from him. I am going to open it up to you before we close here just to hear what stands out to you, and then I'll share a few more things. Um, I do want to just highlight, so the blue is what we are to do, and the red is the promise that I will give you rest and that you will find rest for your souls. So when we're willing to do those things, that's uh, Jesus promises to do the things that are in red. And he uses the word for, he builds an argument for why we should or how this works. And I want to just um, underline those things. So we have an invitation, we have a promise, and Jesus says, because I'm gentle and lowly, because you're going to find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's, that's the argument, as it were, that Jesus is making for us to accept his promise and his invitation um, to us. So I find tremendous hope and joy in the good news that Jesus wants to, to carry our burdens and we are simply to come to be yoked to him and to learn from him and that he promises rest for our souls regardless what we walk through. Does anybody have something that stands out to you in these three verses um, that you notice um, this morning? And again, I know that we look at these often or, or they may get quoted a lot. Uh, but when you think about God bringing you rest or the promises here, is there something that stands out to you? Yeah. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I would agree. It does, in a lot of ways, it does sum up the gospel for me. Um, and it, it feels very closely tied with the idea of peace, although the word peace is not necessarily used in these texts, but, but rest and peace are so closely tied together for me. So the directions are to come. They're very simple. And Mary's saying that we aren't where we needed to be. There's things we need to learn uh, from him. And if we focus on the loss, we'll miss the rest. <clears throat> I think that was one of the... Um, yeah, just a second here, I'll come. Um, I'm good. encouraged by 
Yeah, the text is very clearly, I think, you're talking about salvation, but I think it applies far beyond that in everyday situations. What you know, Mary is talking about, or Darren's talking about, or my dad is even referencing is, and I think that's where it really captured meaning and depth for me is that this is an everyday process that that I come to Jesus, I take His yoke, I accept His answers, and I learn from Him, and that's a process for every area, every stage of life. Um, that I want to just just continually live out. Thinking about being yoked to Jesus, you know, when you when you travel with somebody or spend a lot of time with somebody, you really get to know them. And just to think that God, you know, God invites us to journey with Him, to be yoked to Him, and then just to learn of Him. It's it's incredible how how God invites us into that. Anything else that was standing out to you before we? I have a few other things to wrap up here. Mary touched briefly on the, you know, people can get hung up on the cost of this to come to Christ. I think this, one of the things that just hit me yesterday, um, just even thinking about, you know, our neighbor who, who doesn't know the Lord, and just a sadness that, you know, what, what this man is really missing is actually a rest for his soul. And I don't know, I think it, I want to allow that to let me, um, I don't know, have renewed courage in sharing the gospel, is that what we're literally holding out is Jesus and rest for their soul. And what an amazing thing that that Jesus offers us and we can share. Um, So, Daryl, I think you had your hand up. That's right. And... Any other master that we would choose would not be gentle. Any other master is a hard taskmaster. It, you know, Satan disguises it, but literally in the end, there are no other masters that we would follow that are gentle and meek and actually have our best interest in mind. So uh, one of the things I just want to want us to end with is. Um, to just find hope that Christ is the only place that we find rest for our souls. He is eternal. He is secure. He is never-ending. He is limitless. Recently, I've read uh, two books by Tim Keller, so I have a little bit of Tim Keller quotes going through my brain. One that I love is this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And I think that that is true, that we are more flawed than we ever dreamed, but we are more loved than we ever dared hope. A couple of things I want to just point out uh, here in, in, in wrapping up is uh, up here at the start, um, Jesus just, he gives himself as the answer, the invitation is to come to him. And he just offers himself as the universal answer to those that are burdened. And he doesn't, he doesn't specify a lot of... And the only qualification is to be burdened. And he says that he is the answer. So Jesus offers himself um, as the answer. And this is from John Bloom. Um, Jesus simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us. And we may wonder when we become unburdened or when we become unweary. And notice that he doesn't 
he doesn't even fill in all the blanks. He doesn't say when. He doesn't always say how. But he says that, that we will find rest for our souls. And so John Bloom goes on to say that the promise to us is that in the best way, at the best time, Jesus will prove himself to be the solution that we need. And the other thing I want to point out is that I didn't spend a lot of time talking about what type of labor and heavy laden or what type of burden. And, and again, clearly I think it talks about the burden of sin and of guilt. But I think it goes far beyond that, and I don't think it's out of context to say that it is any burden that we carry. That Jesus invites us to do, to simply to come to him, to take his yoke, to accept his answers, and to learn from him. And I find so often in my life when my soul is not at rest, that that's basically what I need to go back to, is Jesus himself taking his yoke and learning from him. And again, this is not saying that life isn't hard, that there's not real burdens. There are. They're very difficult things to go through. Um, but Jesus promises himself as the answer to our burdens. So, uh, Daryl, thank you for picking burdens or lifted at Calvary. Um, I rewrote these verses into a prayer. It's primarily the text of uh, Matthew 11. Um, and wanna, if you want to, you can read them with me. I will read them out loud now, then I'll just invite you to stand, and whoever wants to can read them um, as a prayer as well to close. Lord Jesus, thanks that I can come to you weary and burdened. Thank you that you will give me rest. I want to take your yoke on me and learn of you, for you are meek and lowly in heart. Thank you that I will find rest for my soul because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So again, I don't know what burden you're facing, what you're carrying, um, but if you find yourself in a spot where your soul does not feel at rest, Jesus promises to give you rest um, and tells you what, what is needed for it. So, if you would stand, uh, no pressure in this. Anybody can read this out loud, um, and then I will continue praying and just dismiss us with prayer after that. All right, those of you that want to. Lord Jesus, thanks that I can come to you weary and burdened. Thank you that you will give me rest. I want to take your yoke on me and learn of you, for you are meek and lowly in heart. Thank you that I will find rest for my soul because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Father, I want to continue praying in Jesus' name. And Lord, I want to just thank you for who you are. Lord Jesus, thank you that you reveal the Father to any of us that come to you as children that come to you weary and burdened. And God, um, thank you for lifting the burden of sin. Um, God, thank you for lifting the burden of, of needing to measure up to um, expectations, or God, you know what it is, whether there's hurts that we're carrying, God, whether there's fears um, about the future, you know what the burdens are that we're carrying. God, thank you that the invitation from you is to come, to take on your yoke, to learn of you, and that we'll find rest. So God, uh, today we, we seek you for that, and I pray that this week we could walk in, in the rest and the peace that you bring. Um, God, would you guide us, provide for us, and uh, Lord, we want to give you glory and thank you for loving us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. Um, you are dismissed.